One third of the entire Quran is made up of stories, history, accounts of people before us, civilizations before us, individuals before us, events before us. Among these stories and among these accounts are those of Yusuf alayhi salam, for example. Allah says, نَحْنُ نَقُصُّ عَلَيْنْكَ أَحْسَنَ الْقَصَصِ بِمَا أَوْحَيْنَا إِلَيْكَ هَذَا الْقُرْآنِ Indeed, we, Allah is saying, we are telling you the best of all stories. Are you ready for this? We're about to tell you the best of all stories, the greatest stories ever told. And it's amazing because that includes, that's open, the wording is open, it's open to fiction and non-fiction. Which means you should be able to take your favorite stories, right? Which aren't just the novels we read, but it's also the movies, because movies are just digital stories, right? It used to be tribes sitting around a campfire and the elders or the wise person or the scholar tells them stories, where we came from, where we're going, who our enemies are. And it became plays and dramas and so on, Shakespeare. Where every time and every place has their stories. Today it's mostly movies. People read novels, but we all watch movies. So movies and shows, they're there to tell stories. And it's purposeful. There's money behind it, there's people behind it, there's ideas behind it. Stories tell us how to live our lives, what's right and what's wrong, what's meaningful, what's not, what our purpose should be, how to earn our money, how to spend our money, how to love, who to love, how to have relationships, how to treat our parents, and the list goes on and on. What kind of careers we should go into. I call it the Harvards and the Hollywoods, right? Hollywood, this makes sense to make it plural, I guess like Bollywood, so maybe it is plural, but Harvard and Hollywood, as in, I mean, first of all, I like alliteration, people start with H, but it's higher education and, um, and media, right? So media and academia, both of them are really telling us stories if you break it down, right? Higher education has a story for you. These are the courses you should take, this is the way you should live your life, and this is what you know, it means to build up a community, a society, and these are the ideologies we like and the ideologies we don't like, and so on. Not to go into any conspiracy theories, but just higher education is there to give you a story, or it tells you how to live your life. And then movies give you an idea of how to live your life. Right? So it's intellectual and cultural. But Allah is there is challenging us to consider and to compare and to see that the greatest stories ever told and the best stories, which happen to be nonfiction, which is even more amazing. It's no dragons and no magic and no, no spells and none of that stuff. No zombies and vampires. The greatest stories were nonfiction. They were real. They actually happened. And they're greater than any of the stories we were told. So you should be able to take, for example, Romeo and Juliet and Shakespeare and compare it and look at all the things that make for a good story. Right? And it's not my expertise, neither poetry or literature or movies or filmmaking. But if you look at in terms of the climax, in terms of the action, in terms of the suspense, in terms of the in terms of what happens afterwards and the denouement and all the different, you know, learn this in school, right? All the different literary terms and all the different parts of the story, and you compare them to, for example, Yusuf Aishiran, you should find that they are in fact the greatest stories ever told and that they have plenty of lessons for us to learn. Yusuf Aishiran's story, which you know just as well as I do, if not better, we're going to go into it in detail, but if you look at it, it's surprising and amazing and suspenseful in so many different ways. You don't expect that a boy who has ten, ten older brothers and sisters, or ten older brothers, sorry, right, that are strong, and they're led by a father who's a prophet. Like it looks like it's a story meant to be happy and positive and just uphill, right? You don't expect that those same ten brothers are going to be the ones who betray him, right? Out of all the things that could have been the adversaries and enemies in his life, and the things that go against this young, innocent, good, obedient child, you don't expect that it's his own ten brothers that are all together going to night to try to ruin his life when their father was a prophet and of course you know how it goes but to throw him into a well and I think some of the tafsirs say some of the companions and of course they learn from the prophet himself which tells us a lot more than just what the Quran says the prophet would add and expound and that's why the seerah and the hadith are complementary to the Quran and cannot be separated from them they tell us I think what account says that while he's in the well and as they walk away he's, ca he's calling them one by one by name they're his brothers all ten of them so imagine he says Ahmad are you going to leave me in here Muhammad, how can you do this to me? Khalid, you're my brother. Faisal, you're my... Imagine that. All ten of them. How cold-hearted do they have to be? They walk away, all ten of them, their own younger brother, 
and they don't come back like an hour and like okay okay like it was just a prank but really it wasn't but they kind of like felt regretful or like felt you know like no not a day not a, years go by they don't show an ounce of remorse to their own brother actually it's worse than that their dad years later is remembering his son you think a parent will ever forget their son like like today we have you know it's common in the news to see like a mother that's crying because her son got let's say killed, killed by the cops just as an example um, and we're not here to talk about police brutality, but things like that where like, or it's Kashmir or it's wherever it is, and, like her son dies. And obviously like another, an hour from then, not even like a year, an hour, like the news is jumping onto some other story. So she has to like get over it. Or at least no one really cares because there's just so much going on in the world. But she will never forget, or the father will never forget. But anyway, years later, he's, he's remembering his son and it brings tears to his eyes or whatever. Like he becomes sad again. He remembers it, it comes back fresh because his son. And guess what the brothers say? They don't be like, oh, yeah, we did. That was 20 years ago, but yeah, we messed up. Or, or at least keep it inside and not like none of that. They tell their dad, what's wrong with you? Are you insane? Like how can you, you still thinking about him? Dude, there's something wrong with you. Think of how cold blooded, how cold hearted they have to be. These are his brothers and years later, they're not remorseful at the slightest. They're trying to make their dad feel ashamed that he's remembering that his son got killed by their, his own brothers or what they think got killed. Anyway, I'm gonna fast forward, but in the story, Yusuf isn't really the crux, isn't the purpose of the whole khutbah, just one example. But it's surprising on so many levels, right? So being thrown in the well by your own brothers, but it, it only gets, there's still levels to it. Because you don't expect after that that you're going to be saved. Maybe the next day, a week, we don't know. But he didn't die of hunger or starvation. All the things that could have happened. He was saved by people. But then thrown into slavery. Like, wow, it's like, you know, suspense and plot twist. That was what I was looking for. It's a plot twist. He gets thrown into slavery, but enslaved by like the elite of his society. That's kind of cool. Like, if you're going to be a slave, you would rather be someone who's rich and so on. And that person who's, it wasn't like the king or the pharaoh or so on, but he's up there. Like, he's a minister, whatever it is. It was you. He's upper class. He also happens to be a nice, compassionate guy who fears Allah. Well, that's nice, because that's usually rare. Usually poor people are more likely to be religious, and those who are in power and, and wealth, again, there's always exceptions, they're more likely to have done something to get there, or they have to do something to stay in power, so they're usually not the nicest people. He treats his own slave, which no one, as far as we know, there's no right to human rights at that time. He could have done anything to his slave boy. He takes good care of him, right? So that's another plot twist. It's like, oh, okay, that's kind of, I mean, he's a slave, he was the prophet's son, but he's taking good care of. Plot twist. The wife is like evil and nasty, and it seems like there's there's reason, there's evidence to indicate that possibly he wasn't the first kid or boy or teenage guy that she had messed with in the past. Seems like she has a history of this because certain things that their father says indicates that he knows his wife. But anyway, so it's like plus of foot. So and, and and the wife is evil and so on, but she's not trying to kill him or anything. She's trying to seduce him. So it's like you know people read the story. You can go two ways. I mean, you could however you think. People have read the Quran all times in all places, Muslim, non-Muslim. So they've all had different ways. Some people might see like, oh, that's not so bad, and others might think like, that's disgusting. Right? It's up to you. Obviously, we know Yusuf Al Salam with his, his pure heart and he's a future prophet. We know how he saw it. Plot twist, he's put in prison. Plot twist, he finds people there that are willing to listen to him, that respect him, and within like a conversation or two, they're like, wow, this guy is special. Which, of course, he is. But they're in prison for like 10, 20 years. What's them to. And they're probably older than him. He's probably like a teenager and they're like their 30s and 40s. And they come out of prison before him. That seems like a lot of good signs. But they forget him. It's like. But then he comes out and then he comes out being the minister and then his kid. Like, the story of Yusuf Al Salam for those who came late. But anyway, it's not the we're, we're asking the question, or we're encouraging people to think about what their story is, right? And how powerful stories are, or what your story is going to be. So Yusuf Hassan is just an example. Like I said, Allah says, He promises, and Allah knows best, He says, We're here to tell you, O Messenger of Allah, and by extension, all of us, Muslims, anyone who reads the Quran, to tell you the greatest stories ever told, which means fiction, non-fiction, dragons, magic, spells, Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, any of these, Shakespeare, you should be able to take that, those stories, compare them to stories of the Quran, and find that those are actually more incredible. We use Yusuf Aysan just an example. Obviously, I have to fast forward. But another story: David and Goliath. Everybody knows the story, and regardless of where you've heard it, and where you are, and what industry you're in, what major, what career, what personality you have, where you are in the world, there's a chance, there's a good chance that you see yourself in your daily struggles, 
whether it's your boss who's treating you badly or like you're in school and your professor just gives everybody a B and you want to be the one who gets an A, whatever it is, right? Your parents, it could be you're, you know, you live in a certain neighborhood where there's like a gang that you're just trying to get to school and they're bullying you. This just happens in America and cities across the country, but those are stories we hear all the time. Whatever it is, or you're running for, you know, some political position, but the other person's the incumbent, you're the, go crazy with the, all right? If Allah used an example in the Quran, you're free to use it and expound on it and make analogies and parallels. That's the point of the Quran, it's for all times and places. But the, um, uh, the example of David and Goliath, everyone can relate to and everyone knows, not just Muslims, not even just Christians, not even just Jews. Of course, they all have it in their, we, we have it in all the scriptures. But these are stories that everybody knows. The atheist and agnostic can still relate to David going up against Goliath. Who would have thought that a 10, 12, 14 year old boy would defeat the guy who armies have gone after, one after the other, have went and faced him one-on-one -on -one and in groups that have not defeated him. This is a giant of a man who's scary, who people tell stories about, everyone's afraid of, right? I don't know the equivalent of today, but whatever it is, some scary guy. Anyway, so the teenager, he kills him, right? Of course, a future prophet. And the third example, before we go more into uh, kind of the purpose of the khutbah, the third kind of case is Musa alayhi salam, Moses going up against the Pharaoh. I love this story for many reasons. Again, it's known, of course, by Muslims, Christians, and Jews. Every Friday prayer, many Friday prayers, and Sunday churches, they mention him and use him for, to bring out and to extract many lessons. But so do atheists and agnostics, so do people as far as India and China and Russia and US and Middle East, and everybody knows the story of Moses and Pharaoh. And today, in times where you're not happy with the political authority, or you're not happy with the establishment, you're not ha happy with the powers that be, it has also a new meaning, a new flavor. The Musa Aysan going against the Pharaoh can symbolize, and the fact that Pharaoh, and this was something I just learned this year, from the Imam Wazdi Muhammad community, I've spoken about this a number of times, but I'm passionate about this. One of my, one of my personal projects in 2019 was to expand my horizons. I grew up around an immigrant Muslim community, which I love. I wanted to go and meet other Muslim communities and other communities and see if I can learn something. And I learned a lot, alhamdulillah, from an African-American Muslim community called the Imam Wazdi Muhammad community. But that's for another khutbah. They, uh, they had an interesting way of seeing uh, Musa Hassan and the Pharaoh, and they said, it's beautiful, they said that it's very related to mass incarceration and it's very related to the prison industrial complex, and on and on and on they went. I'm like, man, we all know growing up, I'm sure you guys agree, we all know this, we heard this, we learned this, but we believe this. The Quran and Sunnah is for all times and places. Now that's like a slogan, but what does that really mean? So they're saying, for example, when the Pharaoh used to kill the men, or the boys, right? Kill the boys, he didn't want men to rise up, he didn't want kind of like a rebellion or revolution or whatever you want to call it. He didn't want any kind of conflict. He would kill the men and he would leave the women. And the women now are in chaos and they're enslaved and they're trying to survive and take care of themselves. And you can imagine, right? What happens in that kind of society. And he's just, you know, just stepping on them with the boot. They say that that's not so different than today, where the fact that it's very hard to find an African-American, specifically the African-American community, but it's an American thing, very tough to find African-American men that didn't have, don't have a record at one point or another. They weren't put in prison, whether they committed a crime or not, whether it was a small crime, whether it's not, whether it's just or whether it's not, but you know, the need for criminal justice reform, that's its own theme. So they say we can relate the two. I'm like, that's beautiful, it's amazing. Now, before we move on, I wanted to say these three stories, I guess I already mentioned this, but it's beautiful. I picked these three stories, they're from the Quran, they're part of our tradition, they're <coughs> prophets, not just people that Allah talks about, other people in history, but they're prophets, so the greatest people that have ever lived, and they surpass and transcend the Islamic tradition and any religious tradition, right? They're universal symbols of patience and perseverance and, and, and the power of stories, the power of storytelling. And what I'm trying to put forth in my thesis is that in a time where we find that Muslims are not where we want to be, right? it's not easy being Muslim, it's tough, it's frustrating, you constantly have to explain yourself, no, 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 I don't believe this, no, 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 we're not about, no, 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 I'm not like it, no, no, that's not what Islam, and it's on and on, it might be our whole lifetimes, Allah, man. We, we pray that Allah you know, makes this go by. We know that things are in phases. We know that we're not the first. We know that this happens to people in history and in US history. It's a normal thing in a sense. We hope that it's just another couple of years, 10, 20 years, not a lifetime, but it could be a lifetime or more, right? But in that phase or in that life, and Allah chose us for this time and place, and Allah knows that that's the best for us. Not necessarily dunya-wise. There are other times where you've been rich and now it's like you're poor or you're, it's harder to make money. It would have been times that are easier. There were times where Muslims were rich and powerful and like running the world, so it's easier dunya-wise. 
But Allah knows that the best thing for you, in terms of your akhirah, is to be in this time and place. And we don't know all the factors. Allah does. He chose us. And with every challenge, there's an opportunity, is what I'm trying to put forth. And the opportunity of today is to tell a better story. Instead of saying all the things Islam and Muslims aren't about, and just focus on all the negative around the world, tell a better story. Starting with, of course, the Quranic narrative. Allah tells us the best stories ever told. But also the fact that one third of the Quran is made of stories means Allah knows us well. He knows that stories are powerful, and that they influence us, and they make us think, and they help us build our lives. And by extension, the community help us decide how we want to live. So we should be telling stories. Hence, why you see in the last however many years, like since 9 11 and so on, last 10 20 years, a number of Muslims in the community, I would argue a lot more are needed, but people take on social media and see that this is kind of the extension of their da'wah and their community building and so on. And why they create videos and why they give khutbahs and why they do so on. And while it's tough to do so, right, it's a time where it's not easy to speak out, it is a time where there's, inshallah, more reward in it, and more benefit for our community and for other communities. So tell a better story, and I'm asking you to think, what is your story, right? Because we're still alive. That means every day we have an opportunity to build ourselves. But Allah starts with these stories of prophets, people before us, before the Prophet Muhammad of course, because the Quran is revealed then. We know that the stories don't end with just the prophets, right? They're the best examples, the greatest stories ever told. But it is beautiful that if you think about it, all of human history, and every story, as in everyone's lives, peoples and civilizations and cultures and all of it, really is Allah's story. Because He created all of humanity. And he decides how things go. Which person, individual, organization really controls the entire global narrative? Nobody. Who decides exactly all the trends in society? Not one person or organization. Who decides exactly all the rises and falls and all the conflicts? It's Allah. So the whole of human history is really Allah's greater story. And he allows good and evil, therefore there is good and evil. He allows it and we know it's a test. It's life, but it's Allah's story. Among these stories, there's one big story that I think is missing. Some of us might know, some of us might not. It's definitely worth telling, and I think especially in our times, it's a project that I'm working on personally. But it's the story of what it means to be black in America. And within that, because that's a big story, that's at least 400 years old. We know that 2019 is exactly 400 years since 1619. August 1619 is the first recorded group of people that were forced into slavery from Africa and brought to what is now the US. It wasn't even the US. It's like 150 years before this country was even here. It was the first group of people that were forced into slavery. And for the next 150 years, hundreds of thousands would do so. And now, now their descendants are about 40, 50 million people. And that is a, a million stories. Really, 45 million people, that's 45 million stories or more because it's for 400 years. But amongst those stories, there's also a number of trends, a number of stories, micro and macro stories. Among them is the fact that a fraction, a good sizable fraction of those forced into slavery from Northwest Africa were in fact Muslims. And it makes sense. And when it's the first time you hear it, because a couple years ago was the first time I heard it, it was mind-blowing. It really did change a lot of the change a lot of how I see the world, and I think it's fair to do so. I think it is a, a significant, and it is life-changing. A fraction of them are Muslim, and it makes sense because it's Northwest Africa. So some of them are Christian, some of them are pagan or have some tribal religion, others are Muslim, and some of them probably no faith. And those of them that were Muslim, amongst that, there are some incredible stories at every time period, from the 400 years ago, the original, the colonies, and so on, to the 20th century, stories that we know better, Muhammad Ali, Malcolm X, and Imam Wahdi Muhammad was the scholar that was behind Muhammad Ali for decades, a name that we don't know very well, but that's his own story. Elijah Muhammad, the Nation of Islam, other movements in the 20th century, and then where they are today, amazing stories. But we know, well, at least we have some appreciation and kind of heard of the names of the 20th century. But there's some of the 16th century. I hope I got that right. Or it was the 17th century, maybe 400 years ago. Some of those stories of slaves that were, in fact, and I'm sure some of you have heard this, but maybe some haven't. To me, this was mind-blowing. Some of them were scholars in their countries in Northwest Africa, in their lands, forced into slavery. They were scholars who could read and write some of the multiple languages. Some of them were scholars of different madhabs. They were scholars of like Madiki madhab scholars of the deen, some of them memorized the whole Qur'an, some of them could write, wrote the whole, not could, wrote the whole Qur'an from memory while enslaved in the colonies after being forced from Africa. That's, for anyone who hasn't heard this, that's mind-blowing, to me at least. 
And they would write things in their personal journals. That's amazing. Just the fact that they could write is amazing because among the justifications, and there is no justification for slavery, among the justifications was, we are, this is not a new story, it's from Afghanistan and Iraq, all the way back to probably the beginning of human time. Same old, same old. We were to educate you, to liberate you, to teach you, to Christianize you, whatever it is. I don't think Christianize is the word, but you get the point. Uh, we're here to save you, I guess. The same old, same old, basically, we're superior, you're inferior, you're less than human, or at least second class, so it justifies us treating you this way. And there's different versions of that, but it's the same old, same old, right? But they said, you know, we're here to educate you, or at least that's part of it. But some of those slave masters, they own plantations and so on, you can say they are business owners, let's say, by modern mindset. But they couldn't all read and write, right? They're not all the Thomas Jeffersons, George Washington, they're not all like these scholars and intellectuals. Every society has a minority of intellectuals. And, and now, around the world, I think maybe the majority, I don't know, majority of people can read and write, but it wasn't always the case. There were times where it was a fraction, or even a minority. So this time, some of the slave owners couldn't read and write, and some of their slave masters, sorry, some of the slave masters couldn't read and write, and some of their slaves, right? Obviously, we know they're not just slaves to us, they're human beings, they're mothers, they're fathers, they're people. They're referred to as slaves, they're dehumanized. They were treated in the way they were, when they could, in fact, read and write, and their slave masters couldn't. And that's a story in and of itself. Some of them wrote the entire Quran from memory, and some of them wrote in their personal journals, ayahs and hadith, describing their situation, what have you. These records are there to today. I encourage you to read them. Honestly, it's something worth crying about. When you read that someone who just one day just disappears, he says salam to his mom, dad, brother, mother, sister, husband, wife, finds himself on another continent. And obviously, we know this, but you even survive the trip. For those who got there, it's just the beginning of a whole long mess. And they, we know that they'll never go back home. They don't know. Any day, we don't know what's going to happen. But we know that it's, it's been hundreds of years, and there's just different forms of slavery. But they would write in their journal things like, Allah is with the patient, and Allah knows that everything is happening, and that we are not in control, but Allah is in control. It's just amazing. Anyway, the second point, and I'll wrap up with this, is, like I said earlier, that our stories aren't finished. As long as you're alive and breathing, and yes, some of us could pass away today, and it could be 50, 60, 70, 80 years from now. Really, some of us could live to 110, but realistically, it's more like 60, 70, 80. And so we're like, what, one-fourth the way through, right? And we know that, I know for a fact, I used to say this in abstract, you see, and we know we can die any moment. We believe this as Muslims, but this summer, and I'm sure some of you were in Houston, I went to at least four janazas, and I think there was more, but I went to four, 15 years old, 26, 28, and 45, something like that. At least one of them was 15, someone from the Nigerian community. It was a boy who had led Tarawih and led Fajr prayer in Ramadan, and then like a month after Ramadan, he had passed away. 15 years old, and all other kids in the community, and the dads and stuff, and that was, that was tough. That was a tough test. We hope that he's in Jannah, and that we are actually should be more concerned about ourselves, because we're still alive, chance to you die as Muslims and chance not to. Chance to please Allah and chance not to. But as long as you're still alive, I'm asking you again, what's your story? And what's your story going to be? I hope that you inspire others to live a more meaningful life. It's inspired to us by the Quran and the Sunnah. The greatest stories ever told.